In this episode, we're exploring how gamification could transform the learning landscape from virtual reality to co-creative platforms. We're seeing a transformation in how students engage and interact with educational content, and we're going to talk about it today on The Citizen Stewart Show. Welcome to The Citizen Stewart Show, a podcast about education in America, where we dive deep into the top headlines and add new perspectives about our schools and our democracy. I'm your host, Chris Citizen Stewart, Chief Influencer at EdPost, a media platform focusing on educational opportunity and justice for every child. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Ravi Gupta, a former Obama staffer and superintendent of a network of charter schools in the South. Ravi, welcome. What's happening? Where are you right now? What what room is this? I've never seen this room before. You've seen this room before. I'm at home. You have, and you're looking you have at my, lots of rooms. You, and you're, you're looking at my front yard in the background there. So <laughs> You must have a big house. Every time I talk to you, you're in a different room. Well, you know, I have rooms and I'm, you know, I'm out in rural areas. You might see like, if you keep looking at the window behind me, you'll see deer and other things pass through. It's, it's my home away from home. When I'm on the road so much like you are talking about education to people nationally, going to conventions and to meetings and strategies, it's nice to come home and just have a restful place to be. I don't know that you know about that because every time I talk to you, you got like uh, fire engines and police sirens and stuff going in the background. Yeah, I, my place, I, I, I love my place too. It's very relaxing in a New York sort of way. If you, ever, if you ever summon the courage to come back to the great city of New York, I'll invite you over. I'm like in New York more and more as time goes on. I'm very much a Californian LA person and in contrast to New York. But like I told you a couple of shows back or a few shows back, I've been there a few times where I've kind of, for a second, I've gotten it. Like I get the New York thing. A lot of it is in the morning. Like if you're a people watcher and you love people watching, like mornings in New York, especially like a rainy morning in New York, is like, it's a little movie. It's it's something like worth watching. It's the cutest thing you'll ever see. So many people walk in New York uh, and like whole families walking their kids in tow or nannies. I, I has, have a suspicion that many of the people I, I, I see are nannies walking kids to school, but it's the cutest morning thing you're ever going to see. Don't find that city. in LA. It's a great city. <laughs> yeah. Great food. So today I want to talk about gamification, Ravi. You're the educator on the show, and I'm imagining that this topic is going to make you go bah humbug on a lot of things that might be said. But I'll just add two kind of things up front. We're having a long-term conversation about disengagement, student disengagement. And as somebody who as a student thought that school was incredibly boring, and still today I challenge people to go back to your children's school and spend a full day there and pretend you're them and sit through a couple of classes, you might find that you would rather kind of gouge your eyes out than do that because it is a very boring. This is just one guy talking. A Gallup study showed that 24% of fifth graders were disengaged. Uh, that number grew to 39% for middle school students and 56% for students in high school. Depends on how you define disengagement. I'm sure that there's many different definitions that people have of it, but what's probably not arguable is that students in some ways are like more chronically absent than they've ever been before. There's a lot of anecdotal and stories from teachers that they're turning in their assignments less, that they care less, that the pandemic broke many of them, that it wasn't great. Student attention wasn't great before the pandemic, but the pandemic definitely did something where people gave up. So why not something like gamification for those who don't know? adding games and gamifying your classroom, just like you gamify every, everything else. Like 
if, if some of you are doing weight loss with the Noom product, they're basically gamifying weight loss, uh, which makes their application more sticky and increases your likelihood that you're actually going to lose weight. Now, you're also a fitness person, Ravi, so you might have some things to say about both of these things, <laughs> like, like <laughs> gamifying weight loss. You might just say, get to the basics, caloric, what do you call it? caloric uh, deficit and all that stuff, you know? So bah humbug. Anyways. We could talk about that. I mean, I knew I have a relationship with Noom. They've sponsored some of my podcasts before, and I actually used their product before they sponsored my podcasts. And yeah, I think they, 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 they have a certain approach that works for definitely certain kinds of people without a doubt. But I don't so what do you think about this whole overall gamification of classrooms? So, you know, there's a few articles I sent you before all of this, which I think go really deeper than we need to go into what, you know, well, gamification yeah, could is. You, so, so. For our audience's sake, do you want to define gamification for our audience so that we know what we're talking about? Sure. Let me just talk about a story that real quickly. So years ago, this is where I learned about gamification of classrooms. I visited a classroom in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. It was led by Ananth Pai, Mr. Pai, and he'd become a teacher as a second career. He had done, he had a, a first career, I believe in science or business or somewhere else. And then teaching was his second career. I had somebody call me out of the blue who's a friend and, you know, we were just talking about education. And she said, Chris, you got to come out to White Bear Lake and see this classroom. I'm trying to get all my black boys in the district in this one class. I thought, well, that's interesting. First of all, that sounds a little like segregation, but let's move on from that. What she was meaning was they had a really bad problem with eighth grade dropout rates of black students, black males specifically. And, and by dropout, I mean, they were being shuttled to an alternative school in ninth grade uh, rather than the high school. So many of the black boys weren't making it. But in Mr. Pye's classroom, they were excelling and exceeding. And in his classroom, when we visited, what we found out was that he had never even taken the textbooks off of the shelf. The school issued, the district issue textbooks in his classroom weren't even off the shelf. He had a station for Game Boy DSs. He had a, a station for computers, like desktop computers. And a third station, I think, was more like a writing or reflective corner. And the kids would go from station to station to do their works. Um, he showed me one of the games that was teaching the kids like statistics or math or some, some form of math. And the interesting that he, he really wanted to show me this point that over the holiday weekend, of the Thanksgiving holiday, the kids kept kept logging in and they kept playing the games that was teaching them math because to they didn't want their leaderboard scores to go down. They didn't want the other kids like, you know, beating them, so-called beating them over Thanksgiving. And this was teaching them algebra or some, some math concept. I can't remember what it was. I remember being very impressed by it, though, that it had this level of engagement. To the point where they were self-directed to want to play. They just wanted to play themselves and they were competitive about it. That was the other thing like that was very interesting was that they were competing. I thought, this is great. Like, why, why aren't we thinking more about this? Turns out Mr. Pye was one of the most hated teachers in the school because all of the teachers that would get his kid the year after uh, they were in his class we're still expecting some level of entertainment <laughs> that they weren't ready to do. So it turns out that the union and others actually started to hate Mr. Pie, even though he was wildly successful. My takeaway from that was, well, maybe not in the main system, but why couldn't Mr. Pie have his own school then? Like if, if the teachers are going to hate him because they don't want to also gamify, why not have gamified schools? So that's the story of where it stuck with me in that um, it wasn't 100% text-based. It wasn't about stale, cold books and lecturing or what my kids have right now, which is they do a lot of video watching 
and then working independently without a lot of teaching. You know, I'm just paying more attention to this this year. Lots of teachers just saying, here's the four videos, watch them. If you have trouble, let me know. And then fill out these worksheets. Totally boring. Kids hate it. Anyways, that's the my setup for gamification. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you were expecting me to hate it more. I generally think it's a tool in the toolkit that can be very effective. Obviously, I think if it becomes the focus, that could be a little bit dangerous because it's in service of something else usually, right? Like the game should be in service of getting kids to learn. And it also, I, you know, my experience, I've, do, I've done this both in the education front and on the fitness front. Like I, you know, you've alluded to this before. I have a fitness crew that I run that uses certain elements of gamification to get people to be as healthy and fit as they possibly can be. And what I find is it works, but it can wear off after a certain point and you have to have other elements in place. You have to have strong community, you have to have strong accountability. You have to have intrinsic motivation because gamification at times can take the place of intrinsic motivation uh, and it could be a substitute for it or it can cover up for a lack of intrinsic motivation. Uh, it, could also, it could also obscure and distract from a an awareness of the long-term objective, right? So if you're like trying to do math and you're like, you want to do it because you want the points, right? That's actually good. Like that, that's not mutually exclusive with an understanding of what that math can do for you long-term, but if it's in the wrong hands, it can, it, it can be an obstacle to helping kids both understand what that math will do for them long-term, but also, and it could be an obstacle for kids developing a, a love of the, the process of solving mathematical problems in and of itself. Like a great teacher gets kids to love solving problems because solving problems is fun, not just because you can earn points, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe. So I think being motivated by being competitive and, and earning points, if it's a strong motivator, it could accelerate your, it can make you stay longer and pay attention longer. And I think we're having an attention problem. There's something that we call the attention economy, right? And you probably know some of these stats. There's probably more podcasts than ever. And how many a year more are coming online? I saw some staggering statistic. People don't watch the same TV shows anymore on appointment television. There's like a million streaming services with a million options. So the ability to just focus and keep your focus in one place long enough is in some ways dependent on your algorithm and your ability to like care about the delivery of whatever that thing was. Like, my God, if I could get the real housewives of wherever to talk about math, I feel like I'd be reaching a whole lot more eyeballs, right? Like yeah. if I could get NeNe Leakes to talk about the importance of, of algebra, that would be like this amazing thing because they have the attention of so many people. Um, gaming, two in three Americans play video games and games offer various benefits such as teaching history or enhancing persistence. This comes from some of the research for, the, uh, for today's show. Educators are increasingly using games in education by incorporating entertaining games into the learning process and adopting game design elements to make learning more engaging. I think that design part is important because, you know, if you think about groups like Rockstar Games, Games are more are bigger than movies now. The amount of money and time and research it takes uh, into studying who's going to play the games and how they're going to study them could be useful to education. If we studied our students as much as Rockstar Games studies gamers uh, and what motivates them and what gets them to stay on something for hours and hours and hours, I don't know. I, I could see I could see us at least doing a long term experiment 
on this with some schools that do it in total. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had a good conversation with Sal Khan about this a couple of weeks ago when he came on uh, the Lost Debate show. And like he's built Khan Academy with gamification principles, but I think he's gotten the balance right, right? There's gamifications. You can earn badges, you can earn points, and you could you could also plug into other types of, and, and, and it could coexist with other sort of gamification principles and methods. But at the same time, there's an innate curiosity and love of learning in and of itself that is apparent in anything you interact with on Khan Academy. The sort of gaming aspect of it almost is, is separate from if you're just watching a Khan video or solving Khan problems, there's a an assumption that the act of learning and solving problems is fun and should be fun on its own. And it can be. And I really do think that I don't want to. I don't want to stop stressing that point because I, I do think, like, I do think that there's there's often this this assumption that learning isn't fun unless you add bells and whistles to it, and I and I think that that's wrong. So I'm glad that you mentioned Khan Academy because I know it's very popular, and I know everybody wants to interview Khan right now, and there's a lot of money put into that. I have three kids in my house. Khan bores them to death. I am actually a member of Khan Academy now, and I'm paying a subscription because I'm trying to learn, relearn some math principles that I didn't learn in my schooling years, or I have forgotten a lot of, and I've made it as an adult my mission to stop saying I'm not a math person and to go back and learn some foundational concepts that I didn't like before. So I'm using Khan for that. I'm more disciplined, especially since I'm paying money for it. Um, I'm going to make myself like it no matter what, right? There's certain things with Khan where I think it's the step above the schooling situation and a step below gamification. It's a good platform that has lots of, I think, clever ways in which to deliver the material to you. The gamification part of it is a little light if you know what real gaming is. So when I watch my kids with any of the games that they play, Skyrim or it used to be Minecraft and they moved on from that to Fortnite and others, there's a lot more there. First of all, I think that people don't pay attention to how many problems they are solving in these games, especially these epic games, the games where it requires you. To, to keep dying over and over and over again if you can't figure out the problem and you can't come up with a plan and you can't have like good problem-solving skills, I think is, is something. It's not just idle gaming, uh, a lot of the games that they're playing. I think that level of motivation is missing from even from Khan. Even, even like, you know. Well, because I think like it's different. Like it's not like Fortnite isn't asking a kid to ask, add fractions with unlike denominators or to do It kind of is sometimes equations. though. Sometimes I mean, it is without without you knowing it, though, in some ways, I think right? We're overselling. Yeah. I really do. I, I See, this is where the humbug comes in. In the end, if you're if you need to understand, you know, glycolysis or mitosis or meiosis and all that, like, yes, I'm sure the gamification elements of this will get better. Certainly, the animations and explanations, and problem sets, and all that have been getting better. You can make it like. You know, you can incentivize a classroom to earn points and yada, 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 yada. But it's never going to be Madden 2024. You know, it's it's not going to like and Madden is, is, is yes, it's going to teach kids like eye, hand eye coordination and, and perhaps strategy. But it is not a substitute for the hardcore academics. Uh, and I think I think people get themselves in a little bit of trouble when they try to oversell some of these games. I, I went through the whole Minecraft thing when I was running schools. Like it's, it's, it's cool. It's interesting. It's certainly like it has a lot of problem solving and puzzle solving and all that, but it, 
it certainly doesn't take take the place of anything in our curriculum. Like it, it could be an addition to the curriculum, but certainly wouldn't substitute for it. Interesting. Okay. So I've built an entire world in Minecraft over a long period of time. I have a realm. I have a Minecraft realm of my own. And it's a nice world that I have built in Minecraft. Oh, yeah. It's taken a long time. I've got multiple houses, some really nice ones that took me a little while to design and whatnot. So there's one way that you can light your houses and you can light, light things up in Minecraft. And the easiest way is torches. So torches are really easy to make in Minecraft, super easy to make torches. But if you only rely on torches, you never get that real housing lighting look. So it kind of looks like you're in a cave, no matter what, how nice your house is that you've built. And I've built some nice houses in, in Minecraft. There is a way to go under the water and get some sea crystals and, and a few other ingredients that you can only find in certain parts of the game. And then you can bring them back and create almost the equivalent of fluorescent light which changes the game. It's like going from cave look to like looking kind of modern in the houses that you build. Now, Ravi, do you know how to make fluorescent light in Minecraft? No, I mean, I haven't touched Minecraft since 2015. So, and I wasn't get really back on it. to begin with. <laughs> like a kid in real life isn't going to go under the water and get, it's like, it's not like that's how they're going to bring, you know, like I, I would, I, like now if Minecraft was like, hey, actually here, you're going to, you're actually going to mine, you know, for like the filament or whatever from the light. I mean, I don't know, like if, if it teaches you actual real world principles, it does. that's still interesting. It does. And like, it has formulas. It has formulas that you have to follow to create the things. Like to answer the question I just asked you, you have to know the formulas and you have to create a crafting table to make it happen. So you're having to mix things like you would do in a classroom, like maybe, you know, chemistry or biology or something like that. These are things I learned on a page like, you know, on paper, right? Like about sea cucumbers and all these different things that, that you find in Minecraft, I learned on dry, dead, boring pages. Yeah, well, I also think that the, the other challenge here, now that we're talking about it, is it's, I don't think we need more excuses to put kids in front of screens. Oh, and, stop it. Here we go. Gamification can exist outside of screens. And I actually think some of the most powerful ways to do it are outside of screens. Like we used to do Color Wars in February, which was like one of the most difficult times of a school year. We used to do color wars that would mix students from different classrooms and they compete on all sorts of stuff from academics to behavioral things uh, and participation. And it was super effective. Like it would, it would energize us for this critical period of time. And that was mostly analog. And I think that could be really effective. But I, yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm the old man here. I just, I think this stuff is oversold. I think it'd be effective. And I think it, yes, I think like you can learn a lot from a lot of video games. I just think I start to get a little bit nervous when people start talking about it substituting for hardcore academics or doing the work of intrinsic motivation and curiosity. Say more about that though. Like what part about it, what are you replacing really? Are you replacing lectures? And replacing well, it depends on what we're talking about. You're like, I, I guess that's my question. Kids, to you. you know, that's my question to you. Is like, yeah. what do you see the role as for gamification? Because I've seen every possible claim and many attempts at implementing this at at all areas of academic life. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I guess that's my question to you. Is like, you know, I guess my degree of skepticism depends on how robust gamification is in the day of a life of a student. Yeah, well, I mean, like in the case of Mr. Pye's classroom, the whole classroom had been had become game gamified, except for the station that he had that was for reflection and writing. 
So you would do a lot of like the course work or the things that you needed to do in the games, but then you would have a, a spot and a time where you had to come back and actually, you know, notate and, and write and kind of reflect on what you learned as part of the process. But he didn't do, first of all, the text, textbooks didn't come off the shelf. And part of that, the reason for that was, I mean, I should go back to the reason for the, why he, Mr. Pai did this in his classroom. It was a second career for him. It was not a first career. And when he came in, he was appalled by the inch deep and, and mile wide textbooks that the district was using. He was disinterested in the curriculum that the district was using and the sequencing that they were doing with it. And it just didn't make sense to him as a person with a new set of eyes on an old problem. So this is something the t district had been existing for years. They've been teaching for years and they knew their curriculum for years and they just didn't care that they weren't getting great outcomes for kids with the way that they were doing things. He just re-engineered his classroom. He just basically said, yes, I'm going to teach. I'm going to be a teacher. But actually, and now I take it back to, I do think it was engineering that he came from. I believe it was engineering that he came from. So he just really from top to bottom threw out a lot of what he was supposed to do and put together what to him felt like a coherent, logical system for teaching the kids the, the things that he needed to teach. Now, if he would have failed, if they would have had bad test scores or if something would have, you know, turned out wrong, then it would have been everybody's opportunity to say, see, told you this doesn't work. Turns out he was outpacing the teachers all around him, though. Right. That's what created the problem. Problem came when he started increasing the test scores of the kids in his classroom. And then the next year they were deeply bored with the traditional classroom. Yeah. I mean, it sounds very promising, whatever he was doing. I think like the question is like and, and like this is the thing is like. What, then what, right? Does that mean everybody should be gamifying or we should just be piloting more and more examples of this to collect more and more data? I'm kind of in the latter category, right? Which is let's try more. Try like, I, I think like my general feeling is the base case in most classrooms is so bad that most innovation, my, my sort of stomach for innovation is, I, I, I have a lot of tolerance, I guess is a better way to put it for, for people who are passionate about something, trying new things. And so in that sense, I invite new methods. I just mm -hmm. think when we talk about scaling them, I have a different standard. Have you seen any of the schools that are doing more of this, like more of the tech focused schools that are thinking about more project based learning, more personalized learning and including, you know, starting to get into gamification? I, yeah, I haven't seen the game. I'm sure they exist. I hadn't I haven't seen the gamification element anywhere that I could think of. How about you? I mean, I, Khan has a lab school, which I'm sure he does. They do whatever version of the gamification that exists within Khan that that you that you, as you mentioned, may, maybe isn't their large, best selling point, right? It's like kind of basic stuff. I think it's though it's going just like AI. A lot of people are suspicious of what AI is going to be, what it's going to become. It shouldn't replace teachers. It shouldn't replace this. There's the bah humbug about AI. It's the same thing with gamification, even though it's slowly entering everything. Like Duolingo is a way of learning a language that has gamified language learning. Noom is a way of thinking about weight loss and diet and the way that it keeps you engaged with the product is to gamify weight loss and the product. It's slowly showing up in many of the technologies that we use for other things besides school, like learning in other ways, you know, the gamification aspect of badges and, oh, congratulations, you've unlocked such and such a badge that makes you feel somehow like you should keep doing it or should keep coming back. I think outside of education, 
it's already being seen as a way, number one, to keep you engaged and two, to teach you things. Like I, if you went back a couple years to me and said to me, I think we should gamify fitness and weight loss, right? Even to the, uh, the extent that like, you know, all of our Apple watches has this thing about closing your, your rings, right? Close your rings on your Apple watch. I think all of those are meant to be motivative strategies, motivation right. strategies intended to keep you pushing beyond boundaries and to, to change your habits and to learn. So maybe I don't have a good whole school or whole district for sure, where I could point to and say, this is already in practice. But I mean, schools usually lag technology on the outside, right? Like, you know, Duolingo's using it now because they have a profit motive to make it happen and to work. And districts right. and schools don't have a profit motive. You know, they don't care if you don't get math anymore. They don't care if you don't read for decades at a time. But these other products that are gamifying are doing it because they have a survival, you know, reason for doing it, which tells me that there should be something there, like something right. should matter there. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you talk to most language experts, though, they're very critical of Duolingo, in part because I think what they do is they, they're really good at getting people in a short-term basis to learn a bunch of rote stuff like vocabulary, but they don't do a really good job of like the depth of having a conversation or the nuances of a language or even reading comprehension. And like to a person, like I went down this mm -hmm. deep dive last year because I thought my focus last year was going to be learning Spanish. And literally every expert I saw was like ranked at lowest among the apps that they really like. And so I think that there's something there to it. Like maybe it's good as a commercialization tool, but maybe it has its limits pedagogically, but I don't know. I mean, honestly, like I think it's context dependent, right? I think the more rote, the thing that you need to do is the more a Duolingo-like gamification can work. The more complicated the problem solving, et cetera, the more you need something like perhaps Minecraft, but it needs to match the skills you need, right? Like the thing with a lot of the games we're talking about is like their first goal isn't to teach. The first goal is to entertain and to keep people engaged in other ways, right? The, the challenge gets like, how do you work backwards from learning standards and keep the engagement high and motivation through gaming? That's like, that's the secret sauce. I'm sure people have pulled it off in certain domains and will continue and probably do more so in the future as the technology gets better. Especially as like these headsets and stuff start to come about. I'm sure there's a lot you could do there. All right. So I'm going to throw another one at you. Brilliant. Do you know Brilliant? I do not know Brilliant. So Brilliant is an app and they build themselves as the best way to learn math and computer science, a guided interactive problem solving that's effective and fun. Master concepts in 15 minutes a day. And these go through things like math, data science, computer science, programming, science and engineering. And a lot of it is very smart games. These are not low level rote games that you play, but they're, they're bite sized. So something like a small portion of a very complex process will help you master things faster because you're doing them in smaller, discrete parts. But, you know, it's effective, hands-on learning, visual, interactive lessons make concepts feel intuitive. So even complex ideas in just a click are real-time feedback and simple explanations make learning efficient. So this feels like con for smart people in some ways, like very smart people. And some of the illustrations and the the sliders and the things that you do are pretty cool looking. They're like, you know, visually like compelling. And this is something all of the courses are crafted by award-winning teachers, researchers, and professionals from MIT, Caltech, Duke, Microsoft, Google, and more. Computer so. science, for example, is a great 
application of this because we used to, you know, the beginning of this was, you know, when we, we piloted like a huge computer science initiative for middle schools throughout the South and were responsible for, at least at the time, it's probably still true, more students of color passing AP computer science and taking AP computer science that, through Republic schools and its programs than the entire South combined. And one of the things we did initially was, you know, there's a lot of programs like Scratch that uh, use gamification and gamification principles to get kids really interested in computer science. And so, but we use it as an entry point. It certainly wasn't the dominant mode of, of teaching, but it was certainly a way to get kids interested at the very beginning. You know? I mean, what do you think should be the dominant mode then? Because this is something that like even the most innovative schools still get ripped on for. You visit many schools, even the ones that say they're doing something really innovative and it looks really kind of familiar and old. And mm -hmm. the kids look like they're dead in the eyes. They couldn't be more bored. You're doing one or two or three things. You're showing videos and then giving worksheets or you're talking ad nauseum and don't care if anybody's getting it. Or you're doing the thing where you're demanding attention through things like slant and other things to where your kids become robots and they don't have five seconds to breathe as an independent thinking person. So what is the dominant mode if it isn't something that they're already doing? I mean, there's been there's been talk in schools about like, well, kids are really into hip hop. So maybe we should use hip hop as a way to teach them poetry or to deconstruct text or show them how, you know, meters and 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 the structures of poetry works or whatever. And then people are like, well, you know. Hip hop is, I've been one of the people, I should say yeah, this, by the way, we're not all into hip hop. <laughs> so I, I've been I, one of these people who's disagreed with that a little bit. I forget the saying, but like, you know, if, if somebody, when somebody's like a novice at a sport, they are like obsessed with the equipment, right? So they're like, mm. they're like, like I need to get the yeah. fanciest tennis racket and golf clubs or whatever. But if you're actually really good at that sport, yeah, you're going to care. But in the end, you hand anybody any tool. And like if I hand you know, Novak Djokovic any tennis racket, he's going to kick the crap out of most people, if not every single human on the planet, save one or two. And I think like that's what it comes to great teachers. Is mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. if you give them hip hop, you give them gamification, you give them traditional I do, we do, you do, you give them group learning, they're going to excel at anything because great teachers – generally speaking, have a broad set of tools. And people have written about this before, what those tools are. We could talk forever about what those are. But I think like, I think this, the question is secondary as to like, you know, what tool they use versus like, you know, what are the basic skills of what is it means to be a compelling teacher of children. And those skills are actually a little bit different depending on the grade levels too. Um, I would emphasize different things at the earlier levels than at the for older kids. And also it depends on cultural context too. Like I think depending on what neighborhood you're in and what state you're in and what country you're in, those, those skills could be quite different. Yeah. So here is a study that talked about gamification. And one of the things that it said is, you know, it's, it's personality dependent, meaning for some kids, this is going to be the thing that breaks through more than others. So it's not like across the board thing. It's not, it could be like a lot of ways that you do school, like one kind of school may not be good for you. But then when you find the right one, it's the right one. This says that participants who use the gamified environment, they tested a couple of different environments. The participants who use the gamified environment had a higher average, had higher than average points, badges, and number of logins than participants of non-gamified environments. 
However, there was no statistically significant results found to show that the gamified group was more engaged than the non-gamified group. Regarding the grades, both groups had a reduction of a grade to a grade GB, which is usual in, in this class. Uh, and the next one, it says the groups that did group gamified participants, not individual, did have a significant increase in the quality of their work. This looks like one of those things where if you read deeply into the research of gamified versus non-gamified classrooms, you would find the thing that I always accuse Matt Barnum of, which is saying, you know, the story is mixed, you know, like that the research is mixed. To me, it feels like the research is mixed on everything. Like, you know, whatever we say in ed tech or ed, you know, whether it's charter schools or whatever, I think that's usually the basis of argument is, well, you know, this says this study says one thing and this other study says another thing. Yeah, I think the point is for certain kids finding the right thing, the fit. So for some kids, the gamified classroom and way of engaging in classes might be the thing that actually really turns their crank and keeps them in school and stop them from dropping out. And for another kid, it might bore them to tears. Like they're not into games. They're not, you know, it's just not their thing. So, says, yeah. uh, it, whether there's also a gender breakdown. Ooh, that's I a good question. Yeah, just because I know what the gender numbers are for video games generally. They're very skewed. Yeah, so the yeah, question yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen any data that speaks to that. I'm sure it's out there. I mean, that's a good point, though. What if this was very much a boy thing? I'm thinking about the problems that we're not solving right now, which is serious substantial disengagement uh, disinterest lack of you know the the lack of finishing assignments and even caring about it anymore the chronic absenteeism the the beginning of what looks like a backlash against education period and definitely college as like a route that people want to take and for it to be very gendered that that college problem is very much a male problem it's a boy problem and you have people like galloway and others who are talking a lot about this boy problem. You know, it's like one of the main things he's talking about. So what if the gamification and the game thing was the access to the the boy soul in education? Yeah. Like, again, like, I think like these are things that I, I think need to, like, I, I certainly wouldn't stand in the way of it, but obviously it has to come in the context of a lot of other things. Like that school has to be a safe place to be. Mm -hmm. It has to be a place with caring adults who can command the respect of the children in front of this. Cause even if you're in a gamified environment, a lot of this is what gets to my point about great teaching in schools generally, right. Is like, you know, the, the, if we're in the metaphorical box of the school, like the foundation has to be strong, no matter what you put in that school. Right. And I think that the, the gamification is going to be irrelevant if the kids aren't safe in the school. Right. Or if the, the, the social compact in the school is broken. Right. Which happens so often, right? Like this is, mm. this is often a reality in schools. Uh, and so that's why, like, I, I'm, I'm into it uh, as a, as a pilot. And I'm certainly fascinated to see as the technology evolves, I have no doubt that certain people are going to crack this in major ways, especially for the harder sciences. You know, a good example would be, this is even gamification. This is just technology, like the meta and the Apple immersive technologies like, you know, a good example is anatomy and, and physiology and biology. Like, it makes it so much more interesting in the mm -hmm. 3D environment. Mm -hmm. And actually, and what I like about the, the technology is it makes it more accurate. It's not just a way to, like, to, to wow kids through, like, cool graphics or whatever. It actually brings it closer to them. Like, it's better than, you know, what, you know, my parents probably had black and white stuff in their textbooks. We had one dimensional stuff in our textbooks. Maybe we they pop in a VHS tape, right? Now they've got more accurate models to work from. And I think that's a good thing. 
Yeah. I think like this is going to be, I think, all the rage for a while because we're having to talk about AI. We're having to talk about emerging technologies like what Khan is doing and Zern. And, you know, I mentioned Brilliant and even the commercial products like Duolingo. That I think train is going to keep running. I feel like that genie's out of the bottle. This idea that we're going to stick with with learning ways, learning methods that haven't worked for us for so many years. I think that genie is already out of the bottle. I think everything you just said, though, could be a critique of all those things. It could be a critique of Khan and Zern. And, you know, there's talk about how you can get a great teacher to be able to teach more than 30 kids in a classroom, maybe 150 by That's using technique. I'm a big by, believer by, in that. Yeah. yeah, like by using technology. and But when each of those things comes up, there's there's a group that says that it's it's like Luddite almost. It's like moving away too much or too fast from the traditional way of teaching in a classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like even the thing that I just said, it's possible for a really great teacher to reach 150 kids rather than 30. The moment that I say that, I know there's a whole bunch of people can come for me right away. Right. You do too, right? I mean, like, like um, even the con stuff, there's a whole bunch of people in education and teachers right now who could come for you on yeah, that Yeah, I don't one. care. Prove the superior model. There are teachers out there who are superior to any technology I've ever seen because they can do things that the technology can't. They can build relationships. They can captivate people in person. They can create a safe learning environment. The technology cannot do that. Now, and then there are also people who could do that and they can explain concepts really well and they know the tools. I actually think so much of what it means to be a great teacher nowadays is is knowing your limitations, right? Like at a certain mm-hmm. point, I, for instance, like as somebody who runs a company and is launching other companies, I know the difference between what I am uniquely good at, hopefully, and what I can pop into a tool and find the right tool that will do it infinitely faster than I ever could do. And I think like that awareness for teachers is, you know, putting ego aside is to be like, all right, where is the explanation actually better than an explanation I'm going to give it? So like, actually, I should actually have the kid watch this five minute video explaining meiosis or whatever. And then I can create an environment which the kids take that knowledge and that, that understanding and then extrapolate on it and build on that understanding. Right. And I I think good teachers know how to do that too. But the, the thing is like anybody who gets mad at that, is if you get mad at the prospect of this technology or you get mad at the prospect of 150 kids and whatever, if you're better, you shouldn't be worried about it. Like if you're better, you'll like, you're legally in most places we operate, you're, you're legally protected in your position, right? Khan Academy is not legally protected for anything, right? Like if they start sucking, they're gone. So you actually have an advantage in certain ways. Yeah, I do think the profit motive and Khan isn't, doesn't have a profit motive, but some of these other apps that, I, that I'm really interested in do because it's, it's the thing that they pitched in Silicon Valley. Hey, what if we gamified you know, weight loss and someone said yes to that and, and put money behind it and now it's got to work. And if it doesn't work, it's going to go away. It's going to go bye-bye. But I do think that there's always going to be worry from people about how much, you said it with screen time, how much is this taking kids away from relationships? The Search Institute talks about relationships as the sine qua non of education, like it's the everything. But when you start talking about like even things like virtual charter schools and virtual schooling period. The rap on them is all research tells us that they don't work except for the kids right. that they do. Right. Like that's, that's the punchline is except for the kids that it does. Right. Yeah. I agree with that, by the way. Like I, I do think that kids are so different 
that some of them are going to love this kind of stuff. Like I, for instance, would have loved this. Like, so I, I should have mentioned that. Like I love competition. So I would have loved the idea of competing against anybody. Like the best thing that ever happened to me was going to college where they ranked, I had these huge science lectures and they would, they wouldn't just give you an A or a B or whatever. They would tell you who's number one out of 400, who's number 75. And you would know they would post it with your last four of your social security number or last four of your student ID number. And, but at the, by the, by, you know, a couple of weeks into school, you all know who the other people are. And I was really invested in being number one. Like it was a lot of fun, you know? And so people would think that's unhealthy, but it made me learn more, uh, you know? <laughs> it wasn't unhealthy. It, it drove it. you, right. Uh, it drove you to, to do better. Well, listen, I will end with this on this particular topic. I have, uh, I have kids in schools right now, and they are deeply bored with the schools. And these are kids that used to love and have a bright light in their eyes about it. And year by year, as they go further and further in, I think they become more cynical about the, the schooling experience. And some of it just feels like it's not keeping pace with other things that have their attention. I'll say this about gaming because there's the one thing that's a constant and a common is, you know, my daughter is on Roblox. The two boys are definitely on Xbox. And it's the one thing where if I could get something on that platform that was teaching them deep and important concepts, I would feel like I had a winner, like something that was really winning. But here's some stats about gaming. Approximately 3.26 billion people worldwide played video games. 90% of the video game sales happen in the digital world, which means people are just downloading them. Gamers in the U.S. spend about 55 billion U.S. dollars on games. So people are putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, 85% of all, all gaming revenue comes from free-to-play games. This is my favorite part. Like <laughs> We sucker you in with the free-to-play game, and then we get in-app purchases. 90 billion mobile game downloads from app stores just in one year. I could keep going on and on and on, but 18 to 34-year-olds are the big group. 18 to 40 year olds are their big group. And I think actually I would bet that, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds are pretty, pretty in there. Also, they just don't have the disposable cash yet to get into, into gaming over during COVID, as you might imagine, this blew up. Like gaming statistics got even bigger because people were at home. They started getting used to virtual ways of interacting with the world. And this was one of the ways that was consistent. So my pitch on it is on everything. Be cynical about anything that looks like trendiness in education, because oftentimes those things make big promises and then fail. But I would say don't do that so much to where you don't see the opportunities and the possibilities. I just, with my own kids, think that anything that is educational that could be put on those platforms where they spend all of that time would make me very happy because I know that that's something they're going to do every day. Like if I could get Roblox to teach you algebra, I think I would have an algebra genius uh, in my household because of the the amount of time that my daughter plays on it. So what's your final word, Robbie? No, I think it's just such a fascinating topic. It makes me want to carve out time to really explore more of these tools because I think they're, they're just so rapidly evolving. And I know there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Appreciate it as always. You know, this is this is the type of stuff that I think actually should get us talking more about what's possible in education rather than just hammering on what's not working because a lot is not working right now. But where the ingenuity is, I think is is my focus. I just wrote something like two days or so ago about Elon Musk starting a school system in Texas. He's starting an elementary, middle, and 
high school, I mean, college, I'm sorry, high school and college with one path. So P16 system. And I wrote basically, you might hate me for this, but I don't think it's the worst idea ever because, you know, you need somebody who number one has the resources and the time to try big and bold things like, you know, he did with Tesla and to have a track record of using science to do it right? Like science is what gets you a Tesla. (laughs) Science is what gets you Tesla batteries that power whole houses. Science is what gets a rocket into the sky. So, I mean, you know, whatever else you think about the guy, and we can say a lot of things that people think about him, if he's going to take on this big, hairy, audacious problem of end-to-end school system and try and engineer one, and he's going to do it on his own dime, he's going to do it with his own money, and it's going to be private, and he's not going to need anybody else's money to do it and to try it and make it work. I say have at her, have at her. It's like time to do more of that. So thank you all for listening to the Citizen Stewart Show. As always, we will catch you on the next episode. The Citizen Stewart Show is a production of the Branch Media Podcast Network. I'm Chris Citizen Stewart. You can follow me at Citizen Stewart. You can follow Ravi at Ravi M. Gupta. You can follow all of the Branch's podcasts at The Branch Media on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And check out our website at thebranchmedia.org. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, and subscribe to the show so you can join us every Tuesday for more of The Citizen Stewart Show. 